Welcome to the Alliance Theater Podcast, an exploration of theater and the people who make it happen. My name is Javier Snipes, the Director of Diversity, Equity, and Engagement here at the Alliance. Today, I am joined by Wooly Mammoth Managing Director, Emeka Abe, who happens to hail directly from the Alliance after serving as the Associate Managing Director alongside Mike Schleifer. Which is a nice segue to introduce our second interview following Emika's. We have our very own Mike Schleifer, Managing Director of the Alliance. So if you haven't been able to deduce already, today's episode is the Managing Director's Edition. Please enjoy. Emika, I love this. It's just like a, like a Friday morning in Emika's kitchen. I dig it. Like, like Emika's... <laughs> kitchen chats <laughs> it's true i've got i've got the pumpkin bread i've got the coffee it's yes friday morning and the kitchen chat i like it it's kind of good to see you again my dear friend my dear dear friend emika abe uh managing director of the willie mammoth theater company yeah so as we're talking so we're realizing that you and i have a history working together at the alliance theater it was the joy of my life to kind of work with you watch your mat watch you make make your magic as you did to set up the road that got you to where you are now, just like, where, where are you from, Emika? Just like, where are you from? Where'd you go to school? Like kind of what, what, what kind of helped get you here? So I am from Palo Alto, California in, now it's the heart of Silicon Valley, but also the home to Stanford yeah. University. Um, and I, there was a children's theater in my town that is a part of the city government. It's a part of the community services department. So just like you have a library and, and you know, rec sports, there was a children's theater. And so I fell in love with it. I did my first play in third grade and then it was like no turning back. And, and one of the things looking back on that was it, the, the philosophy of that place was very much that the kids did everything. And so there were kind of no parents allowed really you know and so not only did i act but i also ran the light board and ran the fly rail and you know was an usher and sort of saw the whole the whole operation and was a part of it and i had parents who supported the kind of like go after your dreams mentality and so i went to ucla originally as an acting focus got in my first serious acting class there and i was like you know mm. I'd rather watch other people and critique them than, than go up and do and do my work on stage. So I really took the rest of undergrad to figure out, you know, I loved theater. I knew I wanted to do something in this world, but what, where my place was. So I did an internship at a small theater company in LA, got a sense of, you know, it takes an organization to support the productions. It's not just these one-off projects. And so I found that, you know, kind of finding that, spot where strategy and organization meets artistry and creativity was a place that I liked to be. As the managing director of the Willie Mammoth Theater, what would you say are the top three things that are key to being a managing director? Ooh, that's a great question. Okay, top three. Um, I think one is understanding a wide variety of different stakeholders and and connect being able to connect with them in different ways so staff and board 
um, donors, audiences, artists, uh, you know, it's, it's a wide range of, of people and their different touch points and connection to the organization. And so being able to understand what their connection is to, to the theater and how to, you know, support that, I think that's one. Two, I think is, and this is something that maybe has been a sort of surprise in this last year that I've been in the seat is partnership, really, you know, um, that I, like most theaters, Maria Goyanis is our artistic director. She and I are co-equals and we both report to the board, but also figuring out, you know, how do we, how do we partner together? And both that, you know, appreciation for the other and what they bring finding those touch points or what are the decisions we make together and what are the areas where it's like, okay, this is your thing and this is my thing and, and a dedication to actually figuring that out and being dedicated to that partnership. So I think that's another one. And then I think I used to think I've always thought of myself as a generalist. I like variety. I've, you know, I haven't been super, like some people come to, to this job from uh, a development and fundraising background. Some come from like a marketing background. I've always like dabbled in a lot of different things. And I don't think that that is like necessary, but I think that has served me really well because I'm able to understand all of these different areas that I'm responsible for and feel like I'm able to, you know, help ask good questions to guide the people that are, you know, more singularly focused in each in each aspect of, of running the organization brilliant thank you for that thank you for that my friend i mean truly uh because that's a, it's a large position and it has such a large scope it's like it's difficult to kind of wrap your brain around so i appreciate you kind of breaking it down like that for you how it works for you so managing director how much has changed since covid and just the effects of that and how you operate and how how are you dealing with that when everything turned around in March 2020? I mean, it feels like everything has changed is the short answer. Um, uh, Yeah, well, I think part of it is just, it is forcing us to be more adaptable, um, more nimble. You know, one of the things, so we're, we're typically a $5 million annual budget. And so that I think of as like solidly mid-sized theater and you know there's the the pro of that is that we're big enough we have a building we have infrastructure you know we have resources but then the con is like we don't have enough resources right so like if we're about like a third of the operating budget of the alliance but we don't have a third of the staff our staff is much smaller than that And so we're just under-resourced in that way. And so, but then also, again, a pro is that we're smaller. So our ship takes, can turn a little bit faster than some of the bigger ships. And so, you know, I think in this time, it's been an asset actually to be a little bit smaller, to be able to be a little bit more nimble, but we're also finding like where that ends. Like there is a constraint there, you know, that these projects still whether they're small scale or full productions they still take time to plan and execute well and and i think that's part of what i'm learning is like it's not just about budget it's not just about like scale in that way because 
some of these unusual outside the box projects that like are really exciting are actually like a heavier lift on a lot of people because there's no playbook for it because there's no you know roadmap and and so as a theater that does new works that you know our our dedication is to projects that are outside the box that are innovative and new how do we actually build the muscles individually for people to to be able to support that but also structurally as an organization how do we set ourselves up so that we can do that in a way that is still just as thorough but that feels like a, a less of a heavy lift so that's that's something i've been thinking about a lot i mean it has it has changed everything right we're all sitting in our kitchens or our living rooms working from home in a way that like you know our work is so collaborative right and so finding new ways to collaborate in this way discovering how we produce projects on online um and i think some of that will stick for us moving forward in some way or another which i'll be super curious to see what happens across the, mm -hmm. the theater field in that regard and we've also we've we, operationally like we've implemented some technical solutions to things that frankly we probably should have done a long time ago um but mm -hmm. actually investing in those resources to make the way that we work together you know better and smoother but also it is just it's just hard i will say it's just really it's been really hard <laughs> it is like yeah. you know i think people are emotionally exhausted let alone of course if you've had friends and family that have been sick. And I think that the reason why we've all come to work in this field is because we love theater. And like, while we are doing theater-like projects right now, like we're still not, you know, bringing people together to sit in the dark and experience a transformative sort of all-encompassing artistic experience and i know that i'm personally really missing that and i think that that's affecting all of us right now in ways that we're conscious of and probably ways that we're also unconscious of so uh, one of the biggest things that have kind of changed theater has been the release of the we see you white america uh we see you white america theater document that uh was released at the beginning of the summer your theater is unique in that you're not only led by two women but you're led by two minority women and so you're in a very special place in regards to being able to truly try to set an agenda, a mandate for your theater and, 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 and the cause for equality. Can you talk about the influence of that document? Yeah, yeah, it was definitely impactful. So we are one of our core values, which was solidified before Maria or I came to Woolly, um, is radical inclusivity. And that has been a sort of North Star for us in terms of our organizations dedicated to equity and anti-racism work. Um, so summer of 2019, um, we had brought in consultants to do some training with our staff. And then fall of 2019, we did some training with our board. But the, particularly the work with the staff was not only about empowering them with tools and language, but also they did an organizational analysis. And we're like, here are some recommendations for, for what we've, from our vantage point, what, what we think, you know, are areas for you to work on and focus on. 
And what had happened was partly because of my transition, which of course impacted you know, many parts of the organization. And once we got back into full production mode, it had just kind of gone on the back burner. And so with, before the demands were released with the murder of George Floyd and, and the reigniting of you know, the racial, not reigniting, but the kind of like refocus, I guess, mm-hmm. nationally, that energy on racism in this country, um, we did take a lot of time to say, okay, what, what do we do? Where do we go from here? And realize we have this incredible tool that was developed for us specifically, you know, let's, let's use that. So we, we kind of went in a lot of directions. We actually, we had a Google doc that we had started to just capture, okay, what have we done already? And what it turned into very quickly was a document that also had all sorts of ideas of how do we take what we've done and what do we do next? And so we're calling that our living document because it, it's going to continue to evolve and, and live. But I would say that, oh my gosh, so much has grown out of that. So one is that we now have a series, a number of committees and task forces um, on our staff that are interdepartmental, that are um, just a different way of collaborative work, that are not only specifically for anti-racism work, but that is one container for that to say, okay, what is, what is an initiative or a, a project or something that we want to focus on making better, pulling together a group of people from throughout the organization to, to work on that. And then, you know, if it's a standing committee, great. If it's a task force, that's finite, great. So that's been one way that we've made it so that it's not, the burden is not only on a small group of an EDI I don't know, leadership group to hold, but that we're all holding it together. So that's, that's one sort of structural thing. I think we are, what I appreciate, one of the things I appreciate about the demands was this level of specificity. And so, you know, and we released our first response, I guess in August, I think. So I know that it's feeling like it's time to go back and be like, okay, what's round two of what we're committing to. And I, and I also just have to say, I really, appreciate the public accountability also because I think it's great to hold ourselves accountable, but it's also helpful to have that external, you know, we got an email that said like, we're watching you. Like we look forward to seeing what you're, what you're going to do, what you're going to say, what you're going to commit to. And that was like, okay, we've got, we have to set a timeline. We have to move this forward. And I think that that's really helpful too, for something that will never end, right? Like there's no like talk about perfectionism and being done. There's no being done with this. Having that layer of accountability to move the needle is is really important. Um, And then just to say, you know, we are, we're looking at this throughout the organization, right? I talked about all those different stakeholders. And so we're, we're making sure we're having, uh, we're involving the board and certainly artists and and one of the things I'm really interested in that I'm not sure exactly what it looks like is how do we how do we bring our audiences into this work when that is a much more transactional relationship? So I'm curious to continue to sort of work on that and think about how that might what that might show up as. I think that's a brilliant way to lay it out that it is that this is in phases that it's not like we're going to do this one thing and then that's the agenda we can set and just move forward from there like it's continual because there are phases to it there's the board there's your theater there's the audience and that's and those things are going to change board members are going to change audiences are going to change and so with that 
the initiatives will have to change. So I think I think that's a brilliant way to kind of put that out there. Final question, my friend. Can you give me a one sentence answer to what you love most about your position at the Woolly? Sure. There's a lot. And actually, just to preface it, okay. throughout this whole time, as hard as it's been, I've I've always been grateful to have this opportunity. And favorite thing about my job, it's that I get to work in theater with incredibly creative, smart, passionate people. That's what it comes down to. And that through the work that we do, I believe that we have the power to transform people and through that, transform the world. And I don't know if you've noticed it, through the course of just talking to you, there have been these continual themes that always kind of go back to what you initially talked about when you worked at the Children's Theater. And for me, as a listener, that's just so powerful to kind of see like how that, how this started out for you continues for you to this day. So, and, and I just think that's very inspirational to, to kind of stay rooted to what got us here. So I thank you for that. I just want to thank you so much for your words. And Emeka uh, Abe, Managing Director of the Woolly Mammoth Theater, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Dav. Mike Slifer, my dear friend, co-worker at the Alliance Theater. Conspirator? co-conspirator in the uh in the arts i like that very much it is a pleasure to talk to you sir so if you want to just kind of give like a general just like name and title of who you are and what you do sure i am mike schleifer i am the managing Mm -hmm. director for the alliance theater where are you from mike because we talk about this but where where are you from my friend just to get it on the record here charm city man baltimore maryland (laughs) absolutely home home of the ravens home of the orioles so like how does being from baltimore infuse you as an artist because you didn't you didn't you started out as an actor right (laughs) yeah man (laughs) let's take it back (laughs) well okay long time ago so how does mike schleifer get started in the arts in baltimore what's the art scene in baltimore like Uh, I think my time as an actor has only made me be able to appreciate the arts more. uh, And I would not consider myself an artist. And and (laughs) and, and I'm I'm not just being humble about that. I I mean that. I mean, I never, the the, the trade of acting is such a nuanced and defined skill that to have done it for the amount of time that I did it just does not make me qualified. I was a stage manager for a long time, right? So I'm, yes. a, I'm a member of Actors Equity Association. I, yes. I consider myself recovering as a stage manager, a recovering yes. stage manager. But I spent enough time with enough brilliant artists in the rehearsal hall, in the tech, in in, in calling shows and watching people work that, that I know my place. Um, and it's it's not uh, it's not on stage. It's it's figuring out how to support those that are on stage. It's not directing and it's figuring out how to support the director. It's not being the designer, it's figuring out how to support the designer. So that's that's what makes me happy is truly understanding the vision of the artist and then trying to put the nuts and bolts together to realize that vision, if that makes sense. 
that to me sounds like an artist though. The collaborative process is an art. And isn't it like, isn't like being like a stage manager in art, having to run the theater is an art because you, it's about the spirit of collaboration. And just to kind of hear your opinion on it. I mean, maybe you see it differently. I don't know. It's just when the way you talk about it is that is part of the art. Yes, it's on a different scope than the actor, but that's, that's part of what makes this wonderful. I don't know. What Man, do I think, do I think, I think there is art everywhere, right? I think there is artistry and mm. how you, how you practice medicine how you practice law, yeah. how you dig a ditch. Yeah. Really, I mean that. I think you can do it in a way that is, uh, that is artistic. And I think there's great art in collaboration. And, you know, uh, one could say there's, uh, you know, collaboration is um, generously giving and hearing and receiving and then manipulating on some level. And I don't mean manipulated in any way as a negative term. It's just saying, yeah. this is my idea. How do I get you to see it my way? Or how... Do I give in to your ideas being the better one, right? That's, that's collaboration. But I think, to, to your point, I think, yes, there is artistry in all things. But, man, the difference between a really good actor on stage and anything I ever did as a, as a young man is, is very different. Yeah, I made the decision not to, do, uh, not to be an actor pretty early on. And I knew I didn't have an original idea, so I thought directing's a mm. bad, bad idea, right? Um, and uh, <laughs> I can't draw a straight line or a really good curved line, for that matter. So I knew, like... Yeah, Trying to be a designer was, was not the thing. I mean, I can hardly dress myself. And I'm not very good as a technician, though I spent a little time as a carpenter and I've hung some lights and stuff. But So I didn't know what to do. And I talked to a chairperson back at Towson State University in, in Maryland and said, you know, what, what do you think? And she said, you should be a stage manager. And wh however it came to be, I fell immediately in love with it. I fell in love with not being the master of anything, right? But, but being knowledgeable uh, about all of it and, and knowing uh, a little bit about everything and knowing how all of those pieces fit together and knowing that you had to constantly reprioritize all of those things. And I think that translates brilliantly to what I do as a managing director. You know, I have, I have the, day, the, the, the day that I have planned and then the day that I actually execute the day that I have planned, I always wake up and think, oh, I'm going to do this and this and this and this. And then emails stop, pop, start popping and people walk into the office, at least pre-COVID they did, and, and the phone rings and that kind of stuff. And suddenly I'm doing something very different than what I had planned in the day. And that is, that is all comes from the training of a stage manager going, all right, what is everything that is happening in the portfolio of producing that the Alliance Theater does? Where does my attention need to be most? And, and constantly pivoting and adjusting. And, you know, the first day of rehearsal, you're thinking about tech as a good stage manager, right? Mm -hmm. And you're thinking, about, you're thinking about closing when the show opens. So, you know, my gig is how am I living in the moment of what the producing work of the Alliance is right now? And what's happening in 30 days, 60 days, five years, seven years, you know? With you, there's so many different things that can come at you from so different angles. How do you mentally prepare to take that on day in and day out? I think I find bliss in the work, frankly. So, so the... Mm. the, the when I have a hundred things to do, um, I can prioritize them and I can effectively knock them out. When I have two things on my to-do list, I, I find myself almost incapable of action. You know, the one thing that I really do for my mental health is I run a lot, you know? Uh, yeah. So I probably, uh, I run, um, you know, I don't know, 40, 50 miles a week yeah. generally. And usually one of those is a real long run. And that's where I solve a lot of problems, right? Yeah. The thing that I like about running is one, it clears my head. And two, I can only do one thing when I'm running, which is to run. That is meditative to me, 
that is, you know, that is like yoga to other people. To me, running, running is my meditation. How do you get to Atlanta? I was at my hometown theater. I was at Center Stage in Baltimore uh, as the production manager and as the associate producer. And I was sort of the general manager for the theater. And I was, I was pretty content. You know, my wife mm. had a job. She liked a job. My kids were in elementary school and middle school and everything was fine. And then um, a recruiter reached out to me and said, there's a job in Atlanta at the Alliance Theater. And just wondering if you're interested. And I have a policy whenever, whenever a recruiter reaches out to me that I don't know, I talk to him and I kind of go down the road a little bit just to make sure that they're, that I'm on their radar moving forward. So I did that and I thought I'm going to move down to Atlanta. Uh, I can't imagine. And I, no, I knew about the Alliance. The Alliance has a fantastic national profile. And I was very aware of the work that the Alliance did. I knew about Susan Booth, um, the artistic director. And I knew they moved shows to Broadway. I knew they did a lot of new work. And I knew they did uh, education work. But I, I took a moment and really dug in and studied the Alliance. The portfolio of work that this theater does is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I talked to my wife about it, and she said, I don't think I want to move to Atlanta. I said, I don't think I do either. But we agreed. Why not learn more about it? So I did an interview and got to know Susan a little bit. And uh, anyone who has spent any time with Susan Booth knows that she's um, pretty persuasive. And she is a gifted speaker. She's a gifted intellectual thought partner. And she sort of explained the job out to me, and I, I came down and visited the theater. I thought, all right, let's, let's go down. I saw A Christmas Carol, and the quality of the acting, uh, the fact that everybody was local made it very clear to me that there was a fantastic local actor pool, right? Uh, and, and that turned me on, just knowing that. Um, and I, I met Susan. I, I sat through some rehearsals. And I thought, okay, I, I see that this is a serious artist. She knows how to stage. She knows how to speak to artists. She knows how to see the big picture and how to stage. And so I really became smitten with it, right? And then I went and I saw a Bernhardt Theater for the very young show. Mm-hmm. And there were 40 kids in the audience. And Olivia Bosworth played a refrigerator. And... <laughs> And I watched these shout kids out. from, yeah, shout out, shout out to the refrigerator. Uh, and so I, I watched these little kids, zero to five years old, watching the show. And I thought, no one else is doing this. I could not believe it. Right? And then I had lunch with Chris Moses. And like, if Susan Booth isn't enough, then you get lunch with Chris Moses. And he, after seeing a, a Bernhardt TV wide, a theater for the very young, and, and you realize how much he's doing for adults for elementary school kids, for babies, for middle schoolers, for high schoolers, collision project, uh, alliance of work, on and on and on. And I thought if I took this job, I would be absolutely terrified because of how much is happening at the alliance. But it's still the most special place I've ever been. I mean, I know I've been working in Lord Theaters my whole career and nobody's doing the stuff that the alliance was doing in 2014. And we're only doing more now. It's a lot to wrangle, but man, no, it's awesome. It's an awesome place to work. So, so I felt like I could stay in Baltimore and be very comfortable and very yeah. content with a job that I had real expertise in, or I could come to Atlanta and be deeply challenged working at a larger theater that was doing 10 times the amount of work of any other theater in the country that I knew about. And, uh, and so I jumped. Okay, so the thing that, that we're all working through uh, at the theater is COVID. So our theater uh, shut its doors to the public March 13th. And what was that moment like to kind of 
come to those terms, to come, they kind of come to that realization that this is happening. Oh, I think at that moment I thought, oh, it's going to be a long weekend, you know. Mm. Uh, I mean, you know, it, it, I'm, I'm a pretty optimistic guy, so I thought mm. this, this is terrible. We're, we're not going to get this run in. How can we – we captured it, right? We, made, we were running naked mole rat gets dressed uh, on Coke stage, and uh, Chris and, 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 and I and the, and the team worked real hard to get a really good three-camera capture of that just we, so we could stream it and share it out that way. Should that become an option with our union partners, which it did, and then we mm-hmm. did share it. But I didn't think it was going to be this long. I, mean, I, I never dreamed it would be this big of a problem. So at that moment, it was, it was an unfurling of revelations over the next several weeks uh, as, as we understood the real impact of what COVID was going to be. But at that moment, I thought this is, this is a, a temporary challenge. And we have temporary challenges all the time. So as we continue to go through it, what are the things you're constantly thinking about? How do we continue to deliver on our mission of expanding hearts and minds on stage and off? How do we stay relevant? How do we navigate instead of hibernate? How do we keep our staff employed and off of furlough? All of those things go through my head. And then, of course, how do we live within our means? And, you know, that's all of those. Some of those things are in conflict with each other, right? Because the, the easiest way to live within our means is do what a whole bunch of theaters have done. And I'm not, well, maybe I'm throwing shade. I'm not throwing shade at some of these other theaters that just decided mm-hmm. we're going to close our doors. We're going to lay everybody off or furlough them or just lay them off. Just let them go. Save those, save all that money, and um, and then stick our head in the sand and come back when when the vaccine, we're on the other side of the vaccine and treatments and air purifiers and everything else. And I I get that. I think having lived through and 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 having been a theater maker uh, during nine eleven, and having been a theater maker in two thousand eight two thousand nine, the thing that I've learned is those that navigate instead of hibernate come back quicker and stronger. I think you take one on the chin in the short term. Uh, because you're spending more money and, and you know, we're, we're running a deficit budget for the first time in a long time because yes. of this. And we're working real hard to close that. But I still think this will be a short-term investment to keep us relevant and to keep us front of mind in Atlanta and to continue to deliver on mission. And we will come back faster and stronger as a result of it. We will have more people who are continuing to engage with us. Delivering on mission, expanding hearts and minds and staying relevant. I think that's so important because in the interactions we have with, the, with, with, with our audience, they're always so just excited that there's some sense of normalcy for them to connect to. Oh, the theater is still doing something. So right. I get to see a Christmas carol this year. So that, that, that means a lot, what you said right there. Thank well, you. And, and you, know, you look at what the education team did. Yeah. They pivoted the entire freaking yep. camp into the virtual space. And then you think about the silver lining moving forward, right? You think, okay, next year, this coming summer, summer after, God willing, we'll be back on campus. We'll have 1,600 kids packing into our campus and we'll have satellite locations mm-hmm. and we'll be in person and we will be working virtually. We'll have virtual camp. We'll have 39 states and 17 countries, who knows what, what taking our camp as well. So there's a little silver linings in all of this, you know, and how do we, how do we continue to share our content in new media and digital platforms, mm. right? And that's, we weren't doing that really as an effort before and now we will. So my friend, what I wanted to close out is on a couple of things here. Uh, number one, the We See You White American Theater document came out early this summer and really kind of changed a lot in regards to our, our perspective in the theater of how we see ourselves and the work we have to do. Because I think as the theater, there's a perception externally and internally that we're in one place. 
But I think that document really knocked the scales off of our eyes and to help us to see that even within our industry, there are problems that that racism, injustice, inequity doesn't stop once you cross the theater's threshold, right? What has been the revelation or the change since that document came out and the work that the theater's been doing? The We See You document is a phenomenal resource. I was on a call with you, Davier, just, be, just before this. And one of, the, one of the people that was on that call is a national call, talked about what it would cost if you hired a consultant to do the work of the We See You document for you, right? Mm-hmm. It'd be hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars of, of consulting fees to come up with this unbelievable document that tells us how to do some of these things. Do I agree with everything in the document? No. Do I agree with an enormous amount of it? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Do I think that it was smart to make it demands instead of a list of requests? Um, I have come to see that that was quite brilliant. You know, just, just my perspective as a straight, white, middle-aged, male, cisgendered, able-bodied uh, guy with a theatrically beneficial uh, Jewish last name is mm-hmm. no one has bigger or, or more blind spots than I do. I, I can be as open to this as, as possible, but, you know, five minutes in, uh, in, in your lived experience, Daviar, would teach me a whole lot more than, you know, me studying can. And so I need, I think as theater leaders, as white theater leaders, we have to trust documents like this and we have to act on documents like this. We were doing a lot. We were doing a lot. Were we doing enough? No. Were we doing it fast enough? No. Were we doing it faster and more than a lot of other theaters? Absolutely. And what the We See You document has done is lit a fire under us to move on this work. Are we moving fast enough now? No. Are we doing enough now? No, but we're moving faster and we're doing more than we were before. And now I will give the shout out that I know you weren't asking for, but one of the things that we did is we hired someone to to help us in this work. We hired you to, to support this work. And I think it is the most impactful hire of my career. I have become requiring of your knowledge. And I didn't know I, I was so desperately in need of it until... Um, until we were compensating you to offer the guidance. And um, you were offering it before we were compensating it for you. And plenty of other BIPOC folks on our staff were too. But um, your, your scene of the big picture, your, your nuance of the work that we do on stage, um, your constant reprioritizing uh, and, and calling out things um, has just been fantastic. And so I just couldn't be more grateful to you, Davier, and I mean that. Thank you, my friend, indeed. Uh, It's a pleasure. So final question here for you, sir. As the MD, do you have a goal where you would like to see the theater in like a couple of years? Well, I mean, I'm so focused on the the racial reckoning work right now. Uh, so, So first of all, I would love to see our staff, our board, our patrons, our volunteers, our creatives, our actors be reflective of the city that we that we live in right so so that's that is front and center then i would like to see us have every single seat of every single performance filled while having really killer access in place so how do we make sure that those without robust resources can make it without resources can make it in to see the work that we're doing can participate in the classes that we offer and uh 
And at the same time, how can we how can we maintain a a, a, a good bottom line? How can we how can we finish mm-hmm. in the black? You know, so that's real important. But right now, we are not playing. I, COVID aside, we are not playing to to packed houses. And now and then we do. Often we do. I want it all the time. And if that means giving away some tickets and and raising more contributed revenue or figuring out earned revenue in a different way, I just want to see the house full with with folks mm-hmm. watching folks that are reflective of, of Atlanta. That's what I would like to see. Mike Schleifer, Managing Director of the Alliance Theater. Thank you for your time, brother. I appreciate it. Davier Smokes, I appreciate you, my friend. We'll talk soon. Later. Thank you very much for listening to the Alliance Theater Podcast. For episodes and more information, visit alliancetheater.org slash podcast.